Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about some books. One, two, one, two, three, four. Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Uh, welcome to the show, Sydney. Thank you, Justin. Special guest, Sydney McElroy. No, I'm not. I'm here, like, ev- literally every week. But it's I'm so special. One half of the the marital, but, misguided marital But tour. it always feels special for me when you're Aww. here. Because you're very special to me. Well, thank you, honey. No problem. That's sweet of you. What are you? Are you trying to get something out of me? Is that what all this? No, don't be silly. All the sweet talking is about. No, that usually means you want to buy something that I don't want you. Okay, no, not at all. What do you want to buy? I don't. I don't want to buy anything. On an unrelated note. Okay. I would very much like to buy a a a new version of the Oculus Rift virtual reality headset, so I could the what now? It's the Oculus Rift virtual reality headset. It would let me get lost in my favorite games and get swept away by the magic of digital entertainment you have so many video games though this already video like game. so many different and like systems this and there's system. like we have like a whole it's a tool it's a gateway ottoman full of controllers it's like a gateway a cube thing to, uh, full of digital entertainment oh we have i have a whole extra tv in my house just for all your video it's games two tvs you strap to your head and suck you into a world of virtual entertainment um, that's like magic, and it's just a few hundred dollars, and I would like very much to buy it, please. I don't approve of that, and a few hundred dollars, I, I just don't think. I mean, we're we're a family now; we have a child to raise. I just I, fine, fine. I will raise the money on my own. Are you gonna have like a lemonade stand? A lemonade or? stand, car washes, and sexy in a sexy getup. Oh, something I could do. Okay, all right. Uh, it's a little cold for that. It's January. Yes. Do you have any other better ideas? I could sell my blood. Sell my blood. Sell my plasma. You're going to sell plasma. Did it in college. Can't, don't know why I can't do it as a 34-year-old father of a five-month-old. I mean, you... And homeowner. You, you, <laughs> you can. I don't know why. You, you could. Yeah. I mean... Um, I can raise a few hundred dollars. Whoa. I figure they'll give me 30 bucks per pint. I got nine pints. Quick math. You're just gonna. Yep, Oculus. No, wait. Well, I mean, like, how quickly are you planning on? Oh, once. Oh no, you can't. No, you can't sell all your all your plasma. I'll lie all still. at once. I'll lie like still. you can't do it all at once like that. I'll lie still for a while afterwards. No. Well, no. I'll have a I'll have a fruit roll up and a little Debbie <laughs> and an orange juice. That'll be fine. Is that what they give you? Uh, I think all those they, things? I did get a little Debbie when I when I gave. That's um, a smorgasbord. <laughs> not all those things. I think that would send you into shock. But you do get a little Debbie if it memory serves it was a Star Crunch. Not one of the superior you, little Debbies. 
No, no, I agree. Not like the oatmeal cream pie thing. That's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, yeah, I'm going to sell my blood. Okay. Well, you can't sell all your blood. You can sell blood, but you can't sell all of it at once because you'd die. Uh, Can I just get more blood from the hospital? Well, okay. I don't think you understand blood transfusion very well. That doesn't sound like me, but go on. Yeah. maybe, Maybe we need to talk a little bit about like blood transfusion and blood donation and then then maybe we can put this to bed you'll still let me sell all my blood if no it seems like a good idea at the end of the episode uh okay sure if it seems like a good idea at the end of the episode agree to disagree so first of all i want to thank uh, a couple people who have recently suggested this topic amy and jennifer um a lot of other people have have tweeted and and emailed uh, i think periodically to suggest this um, so thank you to everyone else who I'm not mentioning. Uh, so, um, so let's talk about it. Hit me. When the, did we start doing this? Cause it seems like something that it, 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 it seems mechanical enough that we would have started experimenting with it, you know, fairly early. You know, what's kind of interesting is that it took us a while to understand the circulatory system and in order to, so you understand what blood transfusion is, right? Well, you know, yes. You take blood out of one person and put it in another. Sure. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. But you don't just like pour it into the other person. Like the, you know, you have veins and arteries and capillaries. They and, can't swallow it. Right. You have like a whole circulatory system that the blood has to get into. Right. Well, the idea of the circulatory system was something that people had to figure out before they could figure out how to put blood into somebody. Does that I, make sense? I guess you, you could, uh, um, before you knew that it like refilled you might worry that if you gave away some of it that you wouldn't get it back. Yes, absolutely. And you you also would have to identify that you need more blood, that that is ever a problem. Right. That it's not just the sort of goopy filler. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, we thought that blood was one of the, the humors, and we actually thought that it burned up in the heart over time. Oh, okay. That's you know, so we That's not so, right. So you wouldn't necessarily know to put more blood into people. Um the first attempts weren't until the 1600s and that was because that was when british physician william harvey first described the circulatory system you know in in depth i mean we had some inkling of it before then but really understood this process of circulation and the properties to leave as little time as possible between understanding something and then messing with it exactly as soon i think that's a good point as soon as we figured out the circulatory system we were like what can we do to screw this up right um, most of the attempts early on were pretty much failures, um, resulting in, in, in either com- complete like exsanguination. So you just mm. lose all your blood. Okay. Because I mean, part of it was where do you put the blood, you know, and how do you get it out of the other person? This usually involved on one end or the other attempting to sever an artery. Mm-hmm. And that's a bad, not a good, not no. a good look. So a lot of the time, to- a lot of the early attempts, they, people bled to death or, if they did manage to get blood from one person and into another, they would have some sort of reaction because their blood types were incompatible because we didn't know about blood types and then the person would probably die. Um, It's interesting because even before we figured out how to actually put blood in the proper place, you know, in the circulatory system, we did think that putting blood in another person had some healing powers. And I think we talked about this actually briefly in a couple of the other episodes we've done Mm -hmm. the idea of like drinking somebody's blood uh marie laveau uh from new orleans and Mm -hmm. the uh third season 
of American Horror Story did this. She uh, sure took the blood of young people and I think slaves in her case and uh, rubbed them on herself to give herself youthful powers. And you see a lot of, I think we've mentioned this before, like vampire myths come from some of these practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, people drinking blood. We talked about like when someone was executed, when someone had their head chopped off, that people would stand around with cups and their mouths open, hoping that blood would fly into their mouths to cure mm-hmm. them. Remember we spoke about this in another right. episode? Um, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans all drank blood for healing. None of this was because somebody needed blood, though. It I mean, like, understand, was, it was just yeah. like the healing properties of blood. Uh, Pliny advised it. Our favorite, of course he did. Pliny the Elder. Um, he advised both drinking blood and bathing in blood is a great idea. I need a Pliny stinger for our show. I need like a, like like a shock jocks <laughs> have. Like, that's so Pliny. Like that. Could it be better than that? It, let's open up the Pliny pack. I don't like the that sound you make at the end. No, I, I don't like that. No. We'll have to work on it. Well, that'll be, we'll fix that in post. Yeah. Come fully on. <laughs> that we'll fully that right out. Come up with something else, all together, completely. Okay. We'll have somebody. I'm something, sure someone else. Something has a, funny. A fun plenty stinger. Um, edit in there. But people would use it for everything, from just like aches and pains to epilepsy. So it had nothing to do with like you're lacking blood, you need more of it. Um, but I thought this was interesting. I did find there was a specific mention in the 13th century that it was it was good to drink blood or to bathe in blood, you know, for different illnesses. But you had to be careful where you got the blood. Because it could really mess you up if you got the wrong blood. And this is one of the quotes I found. He who drinks of minstrel blood or that of a leper will be seen to be distracted and lunatic, evil-minded and forgetful. And his curse is to drink of daisies powdered and mixed with water of honey and to bathe in tepid water and to copulate with girls according to the law natural and to play with pretty girls and young boys. And the antidote is to eat serpents whose heads and tails have been cut off with the edge of a palm frond. So I, some of that doesn't sound like a curse. No. Some of it's okay. Because part of it was like getting down. Mm-hmm. That that's your... And young boy. Play with pretty girls and young boys. Yeah, but then part of it was... Mm, eh, mm. I don't know. And then you have to eat a serpent. And then... Those can be good eating, know. though, from I mean, what I've the, heard. But then like water In and honey, slickers. that's pretty nice. In city slickers, they said. They were delicious. So... So as I mentioned, the 1600s is when we first started figuring out, like, maybe there are other ways to get blood into your body other than trying to drink it or rub yourself in it. Um, William Harvey, it's interesting, did not attempt transfusion himself, even after figuring out the circulatory system. But he did figure it out by pumping, like, water through a dead man. So that's kind of, I don't know if you consider that a transfusion. (laughs) It's a weird afternoon, though. Yeah. What'd you do today at work? <laughs> oh me, pump water through a dead guy. I was same to, old, same old. I was trying to weekend at Bernie's him because I don't know anything, and I'm around in 1600s. But, but I know weekend at Bernie's. But I know weekend at Bernie's. Uh, Rufus, a time traveler from Bill and Ted, I know about Bill and Ted too. Uh, he <laughs> told me about weekend at Bernie's, so I was trying to Bernie's him, and uh, it didn't work. You, you'll be surprised to hear it. Uh, nothing happened. The first, the first kind of attempt was in 1652 when there was this crazy vicar who thought he would try to transfuse a chicken from another chicken. Yeah, go for it. But there's not really any, like, it's not recorded very well. He didn't present it exactly as like a case study in transfusion. So I don't really know how it turned out. So we'll just, we'll just chalk that up to who knows if that's true or not. Maybe. I don't, I don't even know if the chicken was sick. 
just wanted to do it. <laughs> he was just like, like I, I can trade chicken blood. That sounds like something you do when you're really drunk. Uh, same reason people climb Everest, you know, because it's there. <laughs> why did you transfuse that chicken? Why did, you tra- why did you do this? What if you're done with your day? You should just caught up on Gilmore Girls. As long as there are chickens to transfuse, I will be transfusing chickens. For whatever reason. Um, in 1655, so soon thereafter, uh, physician Richard Lower um, decided he was going to try it out with a dog. So he bled a dog almost to death. And then he basically tied an artery of another dog to an artery of the first dog. Just just kind of tied them together. Like, not knotted them, but you know what I mean? Like, tied the edges together. How'd that go? The both dogs lived. Success. There you go. Medical miracle. These are not recommended experiments to do on animals i should i should know dexter types out there (laughs) we're thinking about giving it oral please do not try to bleed a dog to death um and unfortunately because this was successful dogs all over watch out dogs had to humans got an idea run in fear because a lot of people started experimenting on dogs i guess just because it worked once, so why not try dogs again? And also again? Sarah McLaughlin wouldn't be born for several hundred years afterwards, so there was no one to look out for them. Uh, there were a lot of writings from Sir Christopher Wren, who was a scientist and a famous architect at the time, and, and generally just a big-time genius. And people took a lot of his ideas on like uh, the kind of instruments he used. He you know, described different methods of, of doing it and how to do it without you know, causing the dog to bleed to death and that kind of stuff. And so people took his ideas and started doing all kinds of weird stuff. Like instead of just transfusing blood to blood, like they would transfuse opium into dogs or like wine or beer. I don't know. Beer? Ale. This is my dog. His name is Party Boy. He is the sweetest dog, the coolest dog ever. And I filled him with beer. His blood (laughs) is beer and his name is Party Dog. Party Boy. Sorry. Party Boy the dog. Sounds like an awful thing that was done at a frat. Nothing against frats, but like science frat. Like we got we got way too drunk and we transfused beer into our dog. I hope the dog was okay. I'm sure the dog. I'm sure party boy was fine. Uh, lived a, a rich, fulfilling <laughs> hour to ninety minutes. If I ever let you get a dog, we are going to name him Party Boy, right? Yeah, absolutely. But we're not going to fill him with beer. not going to fill him with beer. So the animal experiments continued. Um, and especially in 1667 with the court physician to King Louis XIV, Jean-Baptiste Denis, who was really into sheep blood. That was kind of his thing. So everybody was trying with different animals. And he wanted to try transfusing the blood of a sheep into people. Okay. Because we'd worked so far animal to animal, so why not try animal to people? Both red? <laughs> Both sheep and people are red? blood oh okay but their blood is red give it a whirl fair have you seen sheep blood though i haven't have you no but i assume it's red i, I mean it's red right it's like red. it's red, it's red. why what other color would it be don't go kill a sheep don't kill a sheep so anyway there was a four uh, there was a 15 year old boy who was suffering from fevers uh, so the thought was that since sheep are so cool and calm, if you take the blood of a sheep and transfuse it into the boy who's got the fevers, that he'll be fine afterwards. That that worked okay? He actually lived. 
Um, and, and I will say that from the descriptions, it sounds like he was taking relatively small amounts, like with a syringe, you know, removing a small amount of blood from the sheep and injecting it into the human. Okay. Um, he repeated it late, later with somebody else uh, with sheep blood who was also sick, and that worked as well. Um, and both of them not only lived to tell the tale of their sheep blood transfusion, but they also both said they felt a little better. Um, specifically, when the the second guy that he did it with kind of talked about how, like, after he had it done, his arm felt warm and he felt like like he had energy and he felt invigorated. Oh, God. I think he was having a little bit of a transfusion reaction, probably. Oh, okay. His arm probably did get warm. Well, there'll be no living with humans now. Now that we think we can get a momentary <laughs> bit of pleasure from sucking blood out of sheep. <laughs> this is the new, this is this the is new, the new normal. street drug. Yeah. This is the next crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> sheep blood. Um... And, you know, what's interesting is that they it was pref- it was preferred at the time, like nobody was thinking of using human blood. They were all using animal blood, partly because it was thought that human blood could be made impure by our actions. So your blood could be impure because of your vice or your passion, and you mm. wouldn't want to put that into another person. Okay. However, things kind of went off the rails when he tried to kill, or when he tried to cure, I should say, <laughs> a very ill man. He was also very naked. He had had a he had had a psychiatric episode of some sort uh, that we obviously didn't understand back then and was running through the streets of town naked, basically. So he decided he would cure him by giving him blood from a cow because cows are so gentle. Okay. I guess. Yeah. And so he gave him a transfusion. It did not work so well. And that guy, unfortunately, did die. Uh, and the doctor was charged with murder. Whoa, good yeah. good job, old timey people. This gets weirder. So he was charged with murder. I'm he, real, I, let's just take a moment. I'm, that is surprisingly responsible. I'm yeah. super proud of them. Well, I'm glad that somebody went, and you, you what? You injected him with cow's blood? Listen, I know it's 1667, but you know you can't just kill naked people, right? Yeah, I don't care that he's running around the street. Like, that's not okay. It's not okay. So anyway, he but he was cleared of charges. They didn't they didn't convict him. But as a re, as a response to that, he quit medicine. So he stopped practicing. Yeah, which was probably a good hard idea. hard to drum up business at that point. The weirdest part is that if that's not weird enough, in the long run, it was revealed that the reason the guy was probably already having problems is that his wife had been slowly poisoning him with arsenic for a while. Okay, just as a weird afterthought. Uh huh. But as a result of this, in France, they banned animal to human transfusion. That's okay. I mean, that's an understandable. We, you know, we we cook the, uh, kill the golden goose, I guess, with that last one. Literally, we took <laughs> we were, its blood we were out. We're having so much fun. Having a blast. Shooting up our sheep's blood. And then just went and one step too far. And then Jean Baptiste had to ruin it with the cow's blood and the naked guy. Um, you know what's interesting is that there were also some beliefs at the time that if you use animal blood in a human that it would change their species, but they were doing it anyway. Um, but, you, you would but, think that would have... But that didn't happen, right? No. Okay. They did. There were accounts where people would say like, and then they gave her some cat blood and she seemed very feline-like afterwards, mm-hmm. which, you know, whatever. Um, it, it was so... At the time, it was mainly used very sporadically anyway. So this wasn't like a big loss to medical practice. It was mainly used for like mental illness or maybe marital discord 
it was proposed sometimes that you use and i mean it was the same idea like give them a sheep or a cow's blood something that's calmer than a human and then it'll calm them down although there was a theory that if you transfuse blood from a husband to a wife or vice versa it would fix their marital problems Hmm. um but it was really is that real no no we're not going to do that no i'd give it a whirl no we have to fix this (laughs) We're not going to do that. Please. No. Just distance between I don't know us. what you have. What? Uh, I, I'm not taking your blood. Okay. What kind of vices and passion are you going to give me? <laughs> passion for virtual reality? A, d- a deep burning desire to step inside that digital see? archway and see what lies beyond? I don't want that. Fair enough. And that was the main reason that they, like I said, the main reason they weren't using human blood yet, even though it probably would have worked better, is that there were th- there was a thought that you could pollute a person with the personality and the spirit and the makes sense. I mean, like it doesn't make sense, sense, but it makes a kind of sense. I, yeah, I, the, I can see how. I mean, you're still coming off the whole humorous theory where, like the you know these different there fluids are, in your body influence your to their mood. defense. I mean, in one of those cases where like we were kind of right before the wrong reasons, you know, we we there were you know diseases that could be passed from person to person so you know that not doing it willy-nilly was probably smart right now i mean we didn't understand that no but like we just didn't want to give somebody like the urge to like we had the right idea you know what i mean but the wrong justification i guess right no you're right you're right uh but you know one thing I, i and i read this and i thought this was a really good point all throughout this time period it was really hard to get anybody on board with the idea of transfusion in general because what was the most popular treatment uh Transfusion. Or, no, bloodletting. Yes. Yes. So why would you want to put blood in somebody when... You're just trying to get it out. Uh, yeah, when most of the time physicians were trying to get the blood out That's of your problem. You got too much blood in there. If you look at pictures of people being transfused at mm-hmm. the time period, you'll often see them being bled from the other arm. <laughs> tell me we started getting the hang of this. Well, eventually we did. But before I tell you more about that, Justin, I'm going to need you to come on down to the billing department with me. Let's go. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to... Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool. Think of it as... The palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. 
But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're going to talk about pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Okay, Sid, when did we start getting the hang of this? So in 1818, the first person-to-person transfusion was successful, and that was done by obstetrician Dr. James Blundell, who had been kind of... It's ex- unfortunate, name. Yeah, it really is. It's not, it's not <laughs> no. a very... It doesn't sound like Me, he's going to do this I'm right. Dr. James Blundell. Can I take your blood out of your body and put it in another body? I'm James Blundell. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, no, Dr. it's okay. Blundell. I'm a licensed mm. physician. Dr. James Blundell. It's 1818. I'm already rolling the dice with doctors as it is anyway. I'm going to pick one with a cooler name. But I've got a name you could trust. Dr. James Blundell. So he'd been experimenting with this whole idea for a while. uh, But it really came to a head when one of his patients, he was an obstetrician, uh, started having a severe postpartum hemorrhage. So after she gave birth, she started bleeding. They couldn't get her to stop. Um, and that, at the time, would have been a death sentence for many a woman. However, he transfused her, and she survived. I'm a hero. He, I'm a hero, Dr. <laughs> James Blundell. Hero. He wrote out. He wrote up about ten of these cases, um, and f- half of them went well. Five of them, you know, that's pretty good odds at the time. Fifty percent. Fifty percent hero. I'm a half hero. And to be fair to him, two of the people who didn't. Uh, survive were already dead when he started transfusing them. So well, I'm no Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> I do my best with what I have, which is blood. It should also be noted that while he was transfusing the patients, he did bleed them all. Well, sure. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? Yes. <laughs> I told you that was a common thought. It was out with the old. We, did, the we didn't know how it worked, but we knew. <laughs> Bloodletting was our thing. I'm was sorry, old timey people. I try to give you the benefit of the doubt, but you really thought that the good thing to do by putting blood in would be to take other blood out? I, hey, if, if you haven't listened to our episode on bloodletting yet, I would recommend you do. It's kind of a good foundation for yeah. everything else we ever did in medicine. Fair enough. So at this point, he started arguing that transfusion was a thing that would actually help people. You know, some half of his patients had benefited from it. 
a woman who would have died otherwise survived. So he started pushing this idea, but people were pretty resistant to it, you know, like any new thing in medicine. And especially when we were so used to taking blood out of people instead of putting it in. Um, A study came out at the time, as well as we did studies, that reviewed all the cases of transfusion that had been done and found a survival rate of about one in three And they noted that, you know, this isn't quite as good as a hernia operation at the time, but it is about the same as amputation, so maybe you should go for it. Now, would would one-third about work out to difference in blood typing? Like That's so hard to say because you're talking about it's not just the percentage of the population who has a single blood type. That math is too advanced for me. Right. It'd be it'd have to be the chances that they had either your same blood type or another one that was compatible, which we'll talk about in a minute. Okay. You know, because you don't have to necessarily have blood from the exact same blood type as you. Um, so how to do it was a big problem. You know, even those people who who agreed that it was a good idea. You know, we, we tried tying an artery from one person to the vein of another, which would work, but was very dangerous. And you risked the person whose artery you were severing bleeding a great deal. Uh, we tried bleeding people into like basins and then sucking it up into syringes. Um, we even just tried to kind of like... Uh, take a bunch of sharp points and like macerate the skin on a person's back and then collect what we thought was capillary blood. So was that surface blood? Yes. Not a cool, like not a lot of people lining up at the Red Cross back then, I would imagine. No, no. And I don't think they gave you cookies or juice or anything when no. they did this stuff. Um, they gave me a very soft cushion to lie back on. <laughs> and as you can imagine, getting the blood out was a problem. And then also... Uh, if you did put it into like a bucket or something, it would probably start to clot. And that was a big problem too. Mm-hmm. Cause then what did you do? Uh, in the late 1870s, it was a f- trend for a while to try to transfuse milk. So like somebody's really sick, you just start, you hook them up to an IV of milk and start running that in. Excellent. Uh, there were lots of reactions to that. So by 1884, they replaced it with saline, which is actually something we still use today, not so much to replace blood, but as a volume replacement. Yeah. Hmm. You know, we, that's that's standard IV fluids now. Awesome. Good work, guys. The real breakthrough was in 1901 when uh, Carl Landsteiner discovered blood groups. And I, I should note, there were a ton of physicians involved in this process figuring out not just what the blood groups were, but how to find them and how to figure out who's what and you know what what that means and how to test blood for that um he was not he was by far not the only physician involved there were many many can you give me like a bird's eye view of like blood types like what what that actually means so what it has to do with is what kind of antigens you've got on your red blood cells what are antigens a little like surface proteins that can cause a reaction okay so the idea is that if i have antigens um, a antigens on my red blood cells, which I do because I am blood type A. Okay. And you give me blood type B blood. You have formed p- that person with type B blood. Let's say that's you. I don't know what type your blood is. I don't either. We need to figure that out. It wouldn't hurt. You have antibodies against my antigens. Mm. So you're going to try to destroy my I blood cells. I see your blood as a hostile invader. Exactly. And vice versa. I have antibodies against your blood cells. So you can imagine when you put those blood cells in my body, we're both going to have problems. Is that going to be fatal? Or is Yes, that... it can be fatal. It can be. It de- fatal. I mean, it depends on how much blood you get, sure, sure, how sure. severe the reaction is. And then 
nowadays it would depend on what kind of support you could give the person you know this stuff does accidentally still happen um and it, it depends on how quickly basically you can get this person to an intensive care unit okay so that's generally the idea there's a b a b meaning you have both and then o meaning you don't have any of these antigens on your blood cells and the great thing about type o blood is that for that reason you're not forming you, you can give this blood to anybody because okay. they don't have antibodies against anything on those blood cells, so they're not going to attack it as an invader, and you're going to get that blood. Can they take any blood, too? No. Ooh. No. They can only take O blood. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. The So O is the universal donor, and AB is the universal receiver. Okay. If you have type AB blood, you can get blood from A, from B, or from O. The other thing to consider, of course, which wasn't figured out for about another 40, 50 years was the RH typing, which is if you're positive or negative. So, you know, like I'm A positive. That means that I have the RH factor, which is just another, again, antigen on the blood cell kind of thing. Okay. Don't worry so much about what it means. The important thing is that it has to match if you're positive, if you're positive. Okay. No, if you're negative. Okay. Strike that, reverse it. It has to match if you're negative. If you're positive, you can get negative or positive blood. If you're negative, you can only get negative. Okay. You got it? Yep, it makes sense? It. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. So it took a while for everybody to catch on. Um, there were still a lot of people who were using outdated matching and grouping systems that people had theorized but were wrong about all the way up until the 30s. Um, it was interesting. In World War One. we also figured out, because as you can imagine, all of a sudden it became necessary to transfuse blood. Right. We figured out how to preserve blood. We figured out how to keep it from clotting because some of our early methods were killing people. And that's when we figured out the RH typing. Um, and as a result, after that, as we move into the 30s, we see the rise of the first blood banks, oh. which was really important by World War II when we were collecting mass amounts of blood to have on hold for the soldiers. There's actually a program in the U.S. first called Plasma for Britain, where we were collecting uh, plasma uh, to, you know, ship overseas and, and give to the British Does who were in need. plasma have the same typing restrictions? Yes. Uh, but then after that, we created our own, you know, blood banking kind of systems for use in the U.S. as well and civilian use. Um, a big thing was in the 50s when we replaced uh, glass bottles with plastic bags to hold blood. That was a big deal, as Why? you can imagine, uh, because it's a lot easier to store and transport plastic bags yeah i can see that so it was a lot it was a lot harder to have mass quantities of glass bottles that you shipped you know places um and uh and we refined the testing we first started testing for syphilis and then soon after that we started testing for hepatitis b in 86 we started testing for hiv and in 91 we finally started testing for hep c and now we can test for a lot of different illnesses you know in your blood before we would give it to somebody. So it is very unlikely that you would get any of these illnesses from a blood transfusion. Um, nowadays, we also, of course, cross-match blood. So not only, for instance, in the hospital, are we going to pick a blood type that matches yours, but we, we're probably going to mix it together as well and make sure that we don't see any reaction to unknown antibodies because there are things in your blood that we don't necessarily t know about ahead of time or test for because they're uncommon that can cause transfusion reaction. As you mentioned, we can give plasma, we can give platelets, we can give red blood cells. Some good facts for you to know. Every blood donation can save up to three lives wow. because we can divide it into the different parts. Um, about 38% of the U.S. population is eligible to donate blood based on their health status and age and everything, but less than 10% does. Huh. 
And why that's important is because every two seconds, someone in this country needs blood. So I don't know, we've been doing this show for like 35 minutes, you do the math, that's a lot of people. So if you are interested in donating blood, just so you kind of know, they because some people have asked about different things that they check for, you go in, you'll have a brief health history taken, they'll check your vital signs. Um, they will check your hemoglobin. If you're anemic, they don't want you to give blood because, you know, you're already anemic. Um, and then they actually take your blood and they'll test it for infectious diseases afterwards. Mm. And if it is positive, they won't use it. And of course, then they'll call you and let you know. The whole process takes about an hour for you. And like Justin mentioned, you get juice or cookies or snack cakes or something as a result. Not that you couldn't obtain those on your own, should you should you so desire, but it's a nice perk. But it's a really good idea to do. It's, you know, it's, it's very rewarding. Uh, have you ever given blood, Justin? I have, yes. I did to impress a girl in high school. I need to go back, I know. Did it work? Uh, not super well, because I didn't get married to her. But I, uh, I did. I donate. think that worked out well in I my mean, in my opinion, in my humble opinion. Person, I mean, that specific effort didn't work, but in the grand scheme of things, it it absolutely did. Folks, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Uh, uh, we are here every Tuesday. Uh, thanks to Maximum Fun Network for having us uh, uh, on their their uh, their family of programs. A lot of great stuff we listen to. A new show called Pop Rocket, which is. A bunch of really smart people talk about the events of pop culture of the week. A lot of fun to listen to. Uh, so check that uh, totally out. We also have other great shows like uh, Stop Podcasting Yourself and uh, The Goose Down, Judge John Hodgman, Memory Palace, uh, 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 Risk. Um, my Brother, My Brother and Me. Oh, thank you so much, dear. And uh, also The Adventure Zone is a new uh, D&D podcast that my myself and my brothers do. So it's a lot of fun. People seem to like it. So, so check that out. Uh, thank you to Taxpayer for letting us use their song Medicines. Uh, thank you to all of you uh, for for tweeting about our show. Uh, we're at Sawbones on Twitter. So thanks to Dr. Adam Avatar, uh, Lindsay Marie Ezel, uh, Shadow of Aim Podcast, Rob Weeks, Madeline Cordova, uh, uh, Rob Calise, Brian K. Eason, Samantha Carrick, Mark Davis, Jeremy Baker, Rick Bros, Joel Mathis, so Matthew Domville. Uh, so many others thank you so much uh, we super appreciate it and uh, that's gonna do it for us uh, until next week I'm Justin McElroy I'm Sydney McElroy as always don't drill a hole in your head MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.